Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Thanks for tuning in. Big show today. We've got the date, the time, the place of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast Live, 200th show that you can go to. Bruce Pritchard is stepping into the Not Sam studio for the very first time. He's on the podcast this week. I'll talk about being at Extreme Rules. I'll talk about SummerSlam coming up. There's a lot to get into. Let's start Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Here he is. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. A lot of people wondering, hey man, you've said that you're going to make the shift over. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast is becoming... Not Sam Wrestling. When do we call it Not Sam Wrestling? As opposed to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Well, the official transition will be made, and it will be made, when the show turns 200 weeks old. 200 weeks old, we can reflect on all the things that we've gone through here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast over the past 200 weeks. But episode 200 will be where we make the grand transition from Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast to Not Sam Wrestling. You can be a part of this show. You know I've been talking about it here on the podcast. No need to wait any longer. Here are the details, ladies and gentlemen. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast turns 200 weeks old. The 200th episode live spectacular will take place SummerSlam week. Thursday, August 16th at 9.30 p.m. at Caroline's on Broadway. Caroline's on Broadway in prime time for the very first time. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast will be there. I'm going to have guests. I'm going to have surprises. I'm going to have you. I'm going to have me. The 200th episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and you are going to get to experience it live if you want tickets, if you want to go to this thing, all you need to do is go to carolines.com, click on schedule, go to Thursday, August 16th, the 9.30 p.m. show is Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. This is pretty unheard of for a wrestling podcast to take over Carolines on Broadway in prime time. You have to understand that it's going to be a special show. Any of you guys that have been to my live events in the past, you know that they are spectacular. You know that they are memorable. Of course, we'll have merch. Of course, we'll have all kinds of guests. I promise you that. And I will announce guests as we go. But you're going to want to get tickets now if you're going to want to go to the show. Carolines.com is the website. Carolines on Broadway. It's right there in the middle of Times Square. If you're going to New York for SummerSlam, if you're going to be in town... You're going to want to make sure that you start the week with this show. Thursday, August 16th, 9.30 p.m. at Caroline's on Broadway. It's the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast live 
200th episode spectacular. And you know, we may just see an appearance from my guest this week. Bruce Pritchard is on the show this week. Bruce Pritchard stepping in to the Not Sam studio. He's been on the show before, but he's never been in the home studio. When I say home studio, of course, I mean because it is the home of everything that is Not Sam. It's the Not Sam studio. So, Bruce Pritchard steps in, and of course we'll get to the 200th episode as we approach SummerSlam. By the way, four weeks from today, if you're downloading this podcast the day it comes out, it is only four Thursdays from right now. That's August 16th, the Thursday before SummerSlam, two days before NXT TakeOver. You can start SummerSlam weekend early. There's all kinds of events going on in the city, but this is the best way to start it out. I can promise you an amazing night. Tickets are at carolines.com for the 200th episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. You're going to want to be there. I'm sure I'll be able to cobble together some prizes, you know, but but really it's going to be doing the show, a celebration of what we've been able to accomplish here in 200 episodes, um, as well as picking some really special guests. I'm going to pick some guests that are friends of the show. I'm going to pick some guests uh, that are thrilling to you to see, some of the most interesting people, some of the people that I've gotten the best feedback on from all of you guys. You know, I listen to all the feedback that you guys have on this here wrestling podcast. Um, And that's what I'm going to concentrate on when putting together this show. It's going to be one that you will never forget, and I can promise you that. Carolines.com for tickets. Just go to schedule, and you can scroll down. Also, you can go to all my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, NotSam. You can go to NotSam.com, and you can get uh, all the information for tickets right there. I'll make a link. You can easily just click on it, grab your tickets, and be a part of the 200th episode. One of the people in line to be a part of the 200th episode, the live show that goes down August 16th at Caroline's, um, and this isn't going to be broadcast live. Okay, this is a show that if you want to hear it, see it, feel it on August 16th, you can be there. And by the way, Caroline's on Broadway, for you guys that haven't been before, is this amazing, and there are meet and greet passes available. There's all kinds of stuff over on the website. But um, Caroline's on Broadway is an amazing venue to do this at because it's an intimate venue a whole bunch of you guys are going to be able to fit in there but the stage is basically in the audience you are going to be close enough to this show that you physically could touch it legally you can't touch the show you can't touch the people doing the show but physically if you reached forward you would be able to it's like the pwg of live podcasts it's going to be an amazing experience bruce pritchard is on my list of people to go. Bruce Pritchard is on the podcast this week. Of course, Bruce, uh, first rose to fame is Brother Love in WWE. Uh, he has since risen to fame in this era as the host of the Something to Wrestle With podcast uh, with Conrad Thompson. Uh, he's also on Something Else to Wrestle With on the WWE Network. He's also on Table for Three. I told him, you know, the, the trailer... For the WWE Network that's on now, where it tells you all the programming and everything that's available, it's basically, subscribe to the WWE Network, we've got Bruce Pritchard, something to wrestle with, table for three, whatever you want from Bruce Pritchard, we've got it, but there are some stories that you're not going to hear on the WWE Network, there are some experiences that you're not going to get to have on the WWE Network, I'm here to provide that to you, 
I'm here to give you a moment of the man's life. Bruce and I sat down here in the Not Sam studio to talk about um, a little bit about his run as Brother Love, a lot about getting back into the WWE, some amazing stories about working with Vince McMahon and the pace that he sets and the schedule that he sets. You know, uh, we all hear the legend of the amount of hours that Vince McMahon works. But Bruce Pritchard is a guy who not only played Brother Love, not only does this podcast, but for years, I mean years and years and years and years, he was one of the right-hand men of Vince McMahon. He was deep into the inner circle. And I mean the inner circle at one point was two guys, Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson. And he's he was with this man, Vince McMahon, for like 20 years, over 20 years. But... You hear about that 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 the pace that Vince McMahon works at and demands from his people, um, but there are a lot of specifics. Is it more? That's more of a general thing that gets talked about. There's a lot of specifics. I've always been curious. That's also something that we tackle with Bruce Pritchard this week here on the podcast. So we're going to get to Extreme Rules. Of course, I was there in Pittsburgh over the weekend. I'm going to get to my experiences with that as well as some of your feedback on the show. Um, a lot to talk about in the state of wrestling. But before we get any anywhere near any of that, we're going to start with this week's interview. And this week's interview is with the man himself, Bruce Pritchard. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. For the first time, in the Not Sam studio, not the first time on the podcast, but the first time in the Not Sam studio, please welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, alongside yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, from something to wrestle with and something else to wrestle with. Ladies and gentlemen, he's a two-time podcaster of the year. He's a five-time black belt judo champion, karate. 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 Five... uh, Three-time Black Belt Hall of Fame. Three-time Black Belt Hall of Fame. He is uh, a WWE Network superstar. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> What's going on, man? Welcome. Well, I'm, I'm honored to actually be in the Not Sam studio. This I'm honored is, to have this you. This is positively amazing and just being surrounded by all of this stuff. This and is Sam World. This is Sam World. This is Sam World. And to, to actually be here live and in living color is even better in New York. That's right. In New York. Don't worry about it. When Jeff Jarrett was here, he could he, he told everybody you could see Times Square from the window, right? Just off the camera. Oh, well, yeah. And then, well, I was sorry. I was busy looking at the Statute of Liberty. <laughs> well, welcome, man. Um I think the elevator ride was brutal, though. I got to tell you, to get to the studio, you mean? Yeah. yeah well, it's, we're, we're so high up. Yes. So high up. I've been higher. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Just, the '80s and the '90s, long time. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that I've spoken to you since Raw 25, at least recorded. You know, for a, for an interview. Well, there was. A, I saw you at the Chick Fil A. But that was that was yesterday. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah I don't, but right. that wasn't. It was really funny. So, Extreme Rules was on Sunday. Monday morning, I'm on the first flight out so I can get home to do radio. Mm-hmm. Five o'clock in the morning, drag myself to the airport, slept for an hour, get there. Thank God there's a Chick-fil-A open at the Pittsburgh airport. Yes, thank God. And as I'm waiting online, the first face that I see is friendly Dave Silva. And I went, is that, is that? And then Bruce Pritchard 
was right next to him, but I didn't know what kind of mood Bruce was in because I looked at you and I said, Bruce, and I waved to you and you took a swig of your drink and you looked at me and then you spit it in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, all right, maybe not a morning guy. Okay. The worst thing that could possibly happen is when you order a drink, which I ordered a Diet Coke, Mm -hmm. and you're thirsty Mm -hmm. and you want that ice cold Diet Coke Mm -hmm. and you take a sip. Right. And it's lukewarm tea. Oh. Flat, not not carbonated. Yeah. 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 And warm. Right. And I um, spit it out. I get that. I mean, you're sitting there. It's first thing in the morning. You're miserable. You're like, at least I've got this. There's Sam Roberts. Oh, I mean. mean, (laughs) Now I got to deal with Sam Roberts. Yeah. And then then tea. Yeah, but it was exciting that there was something open that had real food. Right. For breakfast at 5 o'clock in the morning. Right. It was amazing. But the last time we did like a proper podcast interview type scenario, I think was before Raw 25. It was probably right before Raw 25 when you were on the show on Sirius XM. But I have to tell you, there was something so... That was in the studio. That was like a few floors down though, right? Right. That was actually across the street. Across the street. Yeah. A few floors down. That was a different building here in New York. Yeah. Um, But it was so surreal. In, In WWE, they have something called TV locker room. There's a a locker room for male talent, and then there's TV locker room where generally the announcers can, you know, change clothes and everything, but some of the... Uh, Converge. Yes, but also that's where some of the uh, higher-ranking guys end up going just because there's a little more room, and some of the guys that have been there a little longer end up going because there's a little more room, so you'll find Goldust in there, whoever. And I was sitting there, and I realized, like, this was a moment that I just had to capture in my head because I'm sitting there, and right behind me, is Brother Love, because you were all gimmicked up. So it's Brother Love, Booker T, and JBL just sitting there shooting the shit. And I'm going, this will never... This exact scenario right here. This is a one-time thing. In a locker room in 2018. Can you believe the space that you're in right now? It's a little surreal. I, I didn't think that I would be back in that space, much less this space. Um ever again so it was yeah it was it was a little surreal to just be that was my first time being back in the wwe universe and being home if you will and seeing a lot of people i hadn't seen in a long time so it was it was great and it's funny when you talk about that because the people that you mentioned that i find myself sitting there bsing with or the guys that I'm BSing with all the time. Out there. <laughs> right. So, you know, I finally come home, I finally get back to the WWE, and I go right to the guys that I'm always hanging out with anyway. So right. that was kind of crazy <laughs> in and of itself. Were you surprised at the love that Brother Love got? I mean, it's one thing, because that was kind of, it wasn't exactly tested, right? Like, we knew that there was a lot of fan support for the podcast with right. Bruce Pritchard, right? We knew that there were a lot of people in the business, there were a lot of people in the locker room that pretty publicly we're listening to the podcast. So it's not like that's a mystery, but the idea that you come back and it's not you, it's brother love coming back, which is separate from the podcast and not only gets the kind of reception that you got from the audience, but just walking around backstage, everybody was over the moon. All, all, all us, you know, all the young guys <laughs> were all over the moon. The brother yeah, love is walking kids. around. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I didn't expect that kind of, I didn't expect that kind of reaction. I certainly didn't expect the kind of reaction I got from the audience that night, but it was, it was nice to be remembered and it kind of blew me away. I was in the writer's room with Chris Jericho watching it. 
Mm -hmm. And Jericho looks at me and goes, damn, hell of a pop. And you really still couldn't feel it because we were backstage in the bowels of the building in, right. in, a, in a room, inside of a room. And yeah, it's pretty neat. It's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. What was it like being there? Because that was probably the first time, you know, since all this. You said pretty publicly that you started the podcast knowing full well. The whole point of the podcast was I'm never going to be back there anyway. I'm blacklisted right. as it is, so I can go and just say... I can tell the truth. I can do whatever I want. Like, I'm not really worried about protecting anybody anymore. And it's what led you back. What was it like being there then, working with some of the people creatively that you had left behind all those years ago? Actually, walking in, as surreal as it all was and indifferent and, and as it all was, it was like stepping back into the front door of your house and... I was welcomed back very graciously by everybody. It was like coming home. So that part of it was pretty easy. At the same time, everything was so different. Right. Right. Is the way the show is put together, like, was that familiar or was that so, like, this isn't, when did we start doing things this way? Parts of it were, yeah. yeah. Parts of it was a little bit like, hey, back in my day, <laughs> you know, yeah, we would have had this thing done a while ago. And then the other part of it was every time that you turned a corner, there was another reality show being shot. Right. And, you know, right. instead of ducking and running and hiding, you're there, you're encouraged. No, come on, just come over and talk and do right. do whatever. And I'm like, but I don't want to be. All yeah, yeah, isn't that amazing that you came from a time when kayfabe was, like, super protected, right? Like, you were around then. Yep. And now, you're right. I mean, and I don't think people realize with all the shows that are on E! and the Miz's show that's coming out on USA, like, you could, and, and at the WWE, I mean, if you thought they filmed everything before, they film <sighs> everything now the documentary crews everything backstage is getting shot for something or other some of the stuff yeah. just shoot it we'll figure out what it's for later is it crazy to you to see everything being shot and everything kind of being okay to no 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 it's all public like get in there get in the shot do whatever you want to do yeah it, it really is but at the same time when you think about it which I just discovered when I started doing the Something Else to Wrestle With on the network yeah. was that when I would talk about things, the guys in the studio would go back and they would find what I was talking about to put it on. And I used to do, when we would walk through a shot, I would walk through the shot with the cameraman and the lighting guys and the audio guy. I would be the talent and I would do the shot exactly how I saw it. And the talent would watch me do it and they would know where to go, what to do. We taped that. We would record that so we could go back and look at it on the monitor, make sure lighting was right and everything was right. But it was, it's basically like a Hollywood equivalent of a stand-in. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of that exists. I didn't know that they saved that stuff. <laughs> I assume that we either erased it or that those tapes just never saw the light of day. And when I just, which I did, you didn't. Um, I did watch <laughs> Table for Three. I will. You know, um, I, I'm I'm super busy. There's there's footage of Eric Bischoff of me going over stuff with Eric Bischoff backstage. That's unbelievable. That I never knew that they had. I mean, it blew my mind. The first time I was, I was there and kind of got to see, it was as everything was being digitized, but the tape library was still there. And it was yeah. like a thrill to me because I used to watch WWF Mania and like, you know, the Saturday shows that were taped sure. from the studio. So it's like just looking at the tape decks. I was like, oh my God, that's where Todd Pettengale did the thing from and whatever. But... You know, I was talking to them about it, and they were explaining how everything, like, these are where these are and the master's over here, but that 
not only was every show saved, but every camera angle right was saved. Yes. Like every so the the if angles need to be switched out. Was, yes, every single thing. Was, so if you've got a sixteen camera shoot, say, you know, which could potentially be true, you got sixteen cameras running. The masters that get saved are the tapes from all, all sixteen cameras, right. which really isn't done much. You know what I mean? That's that's yeah. a WWE thing to do, but it's, I guess, Vince McMahon and WWE had this vision of what we're doing is valuable, right? And it all needs to be the same way the president, everything the president does, whether everything he writes on, everything he prints out, it all gets saved to be put into a museum because we never know what's going to be. I think history. it's all here. I have most of it. I do have yeah, a lot of it. It's... But that's the WWE's mentality. You save everything because it's going to have a historical context. Well, in the in the old days of the wrestling business, the television show was what we called bicycled. So you would record your TV mm -hmm. on one tape. Okay, You had a master tape. And off of that tape, you would then make a few dubs. Those dubs would then go to the various television stations in the various markets. They would send that tape back to you after it aired, at which time you would record over it. Saved money. Wow. So you never, so like all of those masters, a lot of them, in a lot of places, they disappeared because they were saving money. It's like, who the hell needs it after it's already it's already been on TV? What do you need it for? You know, that makes sense because there's stories about, like, the Johnny Carson archives right. that they've lost years of mm -hmm. Johnny Carson shows because in the beginning, they were just taping over the shows. Yeah. Which is insane to think about in this era that we live in where everything you ever do gets recorded and why would you delete it it's in the cloud right it was it was yeah it's in the you cloud know? i can imagine telling bill watts back in the day it's okay it's in the cloud <laughs> um but we you you did it as a cost-saving measure and i remember in houston was a rarity because we shot everything in the sam houston coliseum and we kept it all so we had a master and then i remember years later when Paul went back, God, this tape is, is really getting expensive. Can't we just go back and use some of the old stuff? And they started taping over stuff. No. It's old. We don't need it anymore. But at the time, we probably had one of the best libraries and, and oldest libraries of anybody because we did syndicated shows and we did shows that we would sell to the Middle East and we would sell uh, oh, wow. around the world. So we had those, and we kept a master so we could continue to make them and send them out. But After, eventually... Eventually, yeah, a lot of it got lost. And isn't it amazing that when WWE finally did come in and start buying out companies, it was based on the tape libraries that right. were available, because that's all you had left. Yes. I mean, the intellectual property's gone. What do you have? Tape libraries. And that tells your story right there. Wow. So, And a lot of them just don't go back far enough, unfortunately, and... It's they, they just tell great stories. You go back and you, you watch the simplicity of what the business used to be mm -hmm. and what we could get away with then based on, you know, a finish watching a match the other day with superstar Billy Graham and Jose Lothario, and the finish was a body slam. <laughs> Bam! Boom! Hit it with a body slam. And people oh bought it. Oh, my God. And it was one, two, three, and... The guy sold it for a minute and a half during a you know a rest period in between falls. Yeah, and that was people bought it. It's unbelievable yeah, how much things change, stuff, but it's uh, yeah, 
Yeah, and it kind of, you can probably also, I mean, there's so much to learn from, because while you're not going to end a match now with a body slam, the way he reacts to it right. still holds up. I mean, the psychology is still the same. You would hope so. Uh, you know, my biggest pet peeve today is, is guys don't sell. They don't. They do these incredible maneuvers, and then they, they go on to the next maneuver. They don't take time to let it register and sell and tell that story. And I think that if we as... As consumers and viewers, if we sat back and we allowed them to take their time to tell the story, I think it would be much more enjoyable for us. Yeah. But there's so much that's that instant gratification that it's like, give me more, give me more, give right. me more. No, that's right. And there is this thought, too, of like, I have to be able to show this to my friend in 20 seconds and prove to him that it's cool. And 20 seconds is a lot. Right. I need something I can show right now and be like, look how cool this is. Okay, yeah, I'll watch. And if you don't get it right away, it's like, no, nah, I don't have time for it. Exactly. Right. And you do you do lose storytelling. I mean, that's why people are like, well, you know, we, we're never going to see anything again like Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage. And it's like, well, do you have the patience for a year-long build? Like, we, I think will they you... do. I truly think they do. Yeah. I think that right now you take a look at, at uh, what's uh, Lord of the Rings? What's the... No. What's the big thing on HBO, the... Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I just said that. Game of Thrones, right. yeah. Right. But if an audience is willing to wait over a year for the next season... And they do. They do. You're telling us... In a lot of ways, you're telling a story without telling them anything. Right. I do believe that an audience would wait, and they would, if you, if you dribble it out and you tell a good enough and a compelling story. Well, that's the key, right? It's got to be good. Yes. That's why people wait for Game of Thrones, because it's so good, right? right? So what are, you, what are you trying to say? That I'm just trying to say stories, if, if good, can be extended like that. I think we're saying the same thing. Okay, don't get yeah, hot. Yeah, no, that's You're all. getting hot again. No, I'm not getting hot. I can tell you, we're in your studio. <laughs> now he's all brave. And he's that's all right. hot up here. He's going to throw me out a window or something. <laughs> so. Um, so what... what you know, talking about footage and everything, the idea that there is now hours and hours and hours of your voice, your opinion, chronicling and breaking down so much stuff in wrestling and specifically WWE history. Mm -hmm. Is there any part of you that goes like, I don't really need that many hours of my opinion out there? <laughs> you know, because I sometimes think about that being on the radio and stuff. It's like, I, I don't... I don't know if I want to be that searchable, you know? Part of you, me, yeah. Because it lasts forever now. Podcasts last forever. It and does. I'm sure there are people that listen to your podcast and are going back to the episodes from when you guys first started, and you're going, I don't even know if that, that doesn't even represent us anymore, but it's there. And yes. they're listening to it, and it's like, you, in some ways, you have to stand by stuff that I in do. no other point in history would you have to sit there and stand by every single word that you said years ago, right? Well, I also figure that uh, I'm, I'm old now, and I won't have to stand by it that much longer. <laughs> so I've got a certain window that I that I have to address. And it's it's funny. I saw Billy Gunn at a convention, and Billy sees me, Bruce Pritchard, I heard every word you said about me on your podcast. <laughs> and I had to think for a minute, going, did I say something bad about Billy? <laughs> and then he got a big smile on his face and he says, every bit of it was true. It was all fine. I, I just love listening to you. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, well, that's probably the trick to survival is to not say anything on the podcast that you wouldn't say to a guy's face. And I've, I've been very, very careful about that because it's like the people always say, have you ever done the, the impersonations? I like to call them caricatures. 
um, to Vince, to Johnny Ace, to Cornette, to everybody that I do, but everybody to the man I've done to their face. Right. Uh, I, I used to sit there and do Vince on the plane going home. Damn it! <laughs> Gross! And I, 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 do, I do a bit where I talk about WrestleMania three and introducing Aretha Franklin and the XFL stuff on Vince. I've done it to his face a million times. Right. So I'm, I'm pretty safe there. He's, he's used to me accentuating him. Is there anybody that doesn't like the show? Like, I mean, in the business, people if that... If you find one, let me know. <laughs> I Is don't it... know. Because, like, you know, at first... The narrative was that you were kind of afraid to be back around all the WWE people because it's like, ah, oh, I'm kind of letting the genie out of the bottle. But it seems like the reception has been positive, at least to the extent that there's commercials for it on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, it has been positive. And like I said, I don't know anybody that has that said to me, the only person that ever really didn't like anything and had something really negative to say about it was Vince Russo, but we used his book, his words and everything else right. in, in the podcast that we did. Everybody else, and it's kind of hard to to dispute in a lot of respects because I'm coming from my viewpoint. I'm not coming from, hey, this is what I think happened or you know, this is what happened between two other people. I'm giving you my experience, my direct involvement and how it affected me. Not how it affected you. Right. So it's, for them, it's kind of hard to argue. They've got their... Right, because it's your opinion, opinion. and your experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's what you thought of what was going on. When, when I talk about, you know, different things as far as creative decisions and why things were made, there was myself, Vince McMahon, and Pat Patterson that were privy to that, and the only people privy to that for so many years. There really isn't anybody else out there to dispute it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the beauty of it is, is that for so long I said, you know, there's only two guys that can dispute what I say, and they aren't talking. Well, Pat Patterson came to my show, and I've had him as a special guest on our live shows. And I asked Pat these questions. And he's like, what? Oedipus, I don't know. That chases. <laughs> and then he, he just kind of goes off on a tangent and sings my way. So it's all good. So it's all good. It's all exactly. good. You're good yeah. to go. How difficult was it way back when to really, and I know you've talked about it, but I've, I've always wondered just the the psychology and, and the people that maybe weren't so fond of it. You're a backstage guy. Mm-hmm. You're a behind-the-scenes guy. To become brother love is not that easy in the sense that I think there are a lot of people, especially when brother love starts to get over, you know, in my mind, there must have been people going, who's this guy think he is? This producer is, is taking our time. You know, he's supposed to be behind the scenes, and now everybody's talking about brother love. Was it, were there people who didn't like the fact that you as a behind the scenes guy were kind of pushing to get your character on the air? I, th- I think there probably was. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it wasn't made, you know, public to me mm-hmm. in that regard. But I think that there were, there was probably some resentment that somebody that was, and I wasn't on the road either. So um, the fact that I was behind the scenes and I was the television guy and now I'm doing a bit on camera and yeah, and it started to get over, but they did, I think there were people that felt, and when I would go on the road from time to time, I was getting special treatment. I think there was a little bit of jealousy there. And that why isn't it me? Why isn't it one of the boys? Why isn't it somebody? And you talk about there? guys who are trying to get FaceTime with the boss, FaceTime with Vince, and you're still one of his right-hand men at the same right. time as you're a performer. 
a very uh, uh, uncommon role for a performer. And I and I didn't really think of it then. You uh, didn't at all. No, just because... blissfully ignorant. Yes. Yeah. I was a kid. I was 24, 25 years old. Right. So just for me to be able to perform, that was that was the kick. Right. That was the bonus. And and for me personally, it was kind of a reward to be able to perform. And that was my respite from being behind the scenes and having to deal with all the TV. Right. So to go out and perform, that was great. Um, that was my few minutes a night that I could disappear. So, it, but it never even occurred to you, like, like you know, when you're getting made up and you're you're getting ready to go out on TV, there was no part of you that felt insecure, like, ah, oh, people are going to be annoyed that that I'm getting this opportunity. It just didn't occur. Not at that time, no. That's amazing. No, because I, I was, I was in the moment, and I and I learned early on too that when it was it was tough for me because even while I was doing Brother Love, I'm, I'm there in red makeup and a white suit and running around. I was still producing. So, <laughs> so you, you still got, had the headset on. Yeah, you with know, the you, suit and the red pants. Yeah, I still had I still had to go work with talent, and make sure that the show's going and make sure other stuff is going on and make decisions and do things, <laughs> but I'm dressed up ready to go and then it was time to go. It's like, Bruce, you're up, go. Is it difficult to pitch ideas for yourself when you're also responsible for pitching ideas for other people and you know that you're the like brother love has one of, you know, whatever, the top spots of the night. I never did. I never pitched ideas for Brother Love. The only thing that I ever pitched was Undertaker. Being, introducing him. Was, yes, yeah, managing him. And uh, I had pitched the character, not the name, not what, what he ultimately became, but I had pitched uh, basically Mark Calloway coming in and portraying a character that was a yin to my yang and the black to my white. So in, in pitching that, Yes, I pitched. That was the one thing I pitched for me to manage him. But that was more about him than about you. It was both. Right. It was it was a change in role for me, too. Right. To go into a little bit of the managing and what have you. So that was the only thing I ever really pitched for that character. What made you want to go into the managing? Because at the time, Brother Love, was it because you, would you have taken less bumps as a manager? Probably not, because you still would have taken stuff at ringside. No. And it's yeah. not like Brother Love was taking an insane amount of bumps. No. It was... It was but you still, as Brother Love, you had free reign. You had a mic. You had all. You, you had yeah. all this. Why would you want to shift into a managerial uh, thing? To do something different. Yeah. And, and plus, I really liked the character, and I, it was something that I believed in. It was a way to expand. You know, you go out and you do a talk show for three and a half years straight. You want a little change, right? You want to do something different. Right. You're going through the cycle now. Yeah. Yeah. It become it just became repetitious, and now I wanted to do more, and I wanted to get more involved. So why did you end up, because you say, you said in the podcast before that when you had the opportunity to manage The Undertaker full-time, mm -hmm. you decided not to. You made the choice not to and to kind of lay off of TV, and that's when Paul Bearer comes in. Right. If... The whole point, reason of, of you know, the whole reason in your mind of bringing the Undertaker in is, is half for the Undertaker, but also so you can shift that character into a manager's role. Why, when it came time to be like, okay, you're getting what you want, did you go, you know what? No, never mind. Because I didn't want to lose the other. And you all, you want when, to, yeah. When you're a producer mm -hmm. and you get to create characters and work with them, you get to be everybody. Is is brother love, and if I was just going to do brother love, then that's all I could do. Right, you're so used to having to this outlet, everybody. yes, where you get to kind of live vicariously through all of these stories. Right. 
Is there also more job security knowing that you're a good producer? Like, you know you have an ability to do this. If you go away from this and you just do the performer thing, that's a risk of once that character's well runs dry, definitely. see you later. Yeah, definitely. And then I got fired six months later. <laughs> <laughs> kind of blew that one out the window there, folks. But that was, yes, it was. It was thinking, okay, um, I can always, you know, I can always go back and do that, but to be able to stay in my producer's capacity, that was that was what I wanted to do. So six months later when you got fired, that was because you were just a dick, right? You were difficult Basically. to work with. You yeah. had an ego. Didn't work well with others. Do you think the reason, one of the main reasons you had that ego was because of how over you got as Brother Love? Did it, was, is it difficult to go back to just being a producer alongside everybody else when you've got some star power as well? People know who Brother Love is? Yeah, it, it was, and my ego was way out of control. It was... Um, I chalk it up to immaturity mm-hmm. and just youth so much so quick yeah that it it really it skewed your viewpoint on things so I thought that okay as, as quickly as I got to this point that the next venture is going to be just as quick and just as lucrative and just as all we do else. is go up yes yeah so when you're young and and you realize that it, it it really skews your viewpoint and I just chalk it up to immaturity and not knowing. It, thank God I went through it. Mm-hmm. It was a good learning experience. Yes. It humbles you and you realize uh, maybe I'm not as important as I thought I was. Right, and I think the people who are successful long term at some point have to come to this realization that all every high gets matched with a low. Randy and, Savage used to used to say to me all the time, the higher the highs, the lower the lows, uh-huh. So no matter how high that high is, brother, be prepared to deal with the low. It's just, I mean, it's, it's brilliant because it's true. Yes. I mean, and that's, that's throughout life. That's not a wrestling lesson. That's a life lesson. So I figure I'm due for some pretty damn high highs. <laughs> uh, based on the last, you know, you several got, years. You got the lows up front. Now I, man, I got 10 years worth of lows that so, uh, I'm so, due. So as you're dealing with this success now, no part of you is going like, oh, a low's coming because you're like, this is to make up for all oh, this yeah. other yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, this, this, is, this, is, this is to make up for those low lows. I already went through the high, low, high, low, high, low. Then I went through low, and then how low can you go? And yeah. Then, oh, yeah, you think that's low? Let me show you what low is. And got all the way down there. So I figure I'm due by right, <laughs> right now. This time, just keeping it a little more in check. Yeah. Now, when you came back after your... Did you learn that lesson in the year or so that you were gone? Do you come back kind of realizing like, okay, let me put everything into perspective now? Or did it still, you know, take some time after that? No, it it, it really... When I came back in 1992, yeah. um, that, was, that was a very humbling experience. And, and I came back... Still, I probably still had a chip on my shoulder, but I was insulated and protected in so many ways. And where Vince was like, "You only deal with me and Pat. That's it." And he he did a very good job of insulating me from everybody else, to where he didn't allow me to screw myself. And then as as time goes on, you you start to learn how you know how to make things better and just you work with people. And, 
You know, people talk about Paul Heyman's ability to accentuate the positives in people and hide the negatives, which I think is, you know, you can't compliment him enough for that. That's ECW was based right. on that, and I loved ECW, unlike you. So, but what I'm getting at is, I don't think enough people say that about Vince McMahon, because what the, what, the setup that you just laid out is a pretty genius thing, where Vince McMahon wants this skill set that you have. He right. wants what's in your brain on his product. He realizes why he can't have it, so he's now setting up a scenario where he can take out the good stuff and don't let the bad stuff affect his company right. whatsoever. I mean, I don't think most people, business owners, whoever, can pull that off. Yeah, and, and, and thank God he did. I mean, it really helped me, and then he eased me back into everything. Um, but it was his, you know, he had confidence in me and he was able to give me those opportunities that people I don't know ordinarily would do. So he brought us back. And actually, when Pat and I came back, Pat had left for a little while then too. But when Pat and I came back, we didn't even have offices in the office, which was fine by us. Right. I didn't want to have an office there. And it took a while. You just before. kind of wandered? Like you were we, there, you we just... worked at we either worked at Vince's house or, or Pat's house. Oh, so you wouldn't even go to the office. I didn't even go to the office. Wow. No. So the office people knew you were back, but they, literally never saw you. They rarely ever saw me if I did come into a meeting with Vince or at TV, uh, at, at television tapings. I did not step foot into the television studio for quite a while. More with Bruce momentarily. Look, we're talking about all the live events that are happening around SummerSlam weekend. And when you guys are all getting your tickets for the 200th episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, you're probably going to wonder, how am I going to get to see more that weekend? How am I going to get to NXT TakeOver Brooklyn? How am I going to get to SummerSlam, Raw, SmackDown, all at the Barclays Center? Well, there's one way that you're going to be able to get tickets to all those events and more. Regardless of where you're at, they've got your back. It's the best way. It's the easiest way it's the safest way to get to get tickets it's seat geek one of my favorite sponsors of all time great friend of sam roberts wrestling podcast making this all possible support them seat geek supports you seat geek makes it easy to get tickets to any wrestling show you want any football game baseball game basketball game any sports event you want any concert comedy show broadway show whatever you want tickets to seat geek has your back look seat geek brings data in from all over the place to make sure that you are getting the best deals download that seat geek app on your phone you'll see it for yourself that's what i did and i was blown away at how easy it was to use how much information there was there and basically how you just can't go wrong they give you a seating chart you search your event that you want to go to or they do it by location for you. Let you know what's going on near you. The uh, seating chart comes up. You go through the seating chart. Where do I want to sit? Where's the stage? Okay, the stage is there. I want to sit over there. What if you don't care? You'll sit wherever you want, but you want to make sure you're getting the best deal. No problem. Because not only are all the seats marked, but they're color-coded so that you know which seat is the best value based on all that data that SeatGeek has. You're going to get the best deal. They're guaranteed authentic. No more embarrassing run-ins with concert security when you find out that you used an unreliable source so you got fake tickets. Uh-uh. Never going to happen with SeatGeek. And if you want the best deal imaginable, take that deal that I just gave you. Best value, pick your seat, whatever you want to do. All the data compiled from all different sources and then subtract another 20 bucks. You're saying, what are you kidding me, Sam Roberts? No. 
Because you listen to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, I'm going to make sure that you get $20 off your first purchase from SeatGeek. How can I do it? I know people, and I know you, and I know you are going to download this app. You download the app, you put in promo code SAM. That's promo code SAM when you download the app. If you put that promo code SAM in, $20 off your first purchase. Just like that. Promo code SAM, SeatGeek. You'll thank me later. Back to Bruce Pritchard. Do you suppose there's a jealousy even with that? Because I feel like if I'm a TV... Big time. Right. Because if I'm if I'm a TV producer and I'm like, yeah, I don't have to deal with Bruce, but why don't I get to go to Vince's house? Why don't I get that time with the boss? Have at it! <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's, that's the part that always would amaze me. Right. It's like, hey, come, you know what? Come join us at 8 o'clock in the morning. Right. And stay till 1130 at night. But that's just one day, right? That's not... You're not going to go back tomorrow. It was only Monday through Sunday. Okay. Every week. Right. That Just every week. Go stay with him 18 <laughs> hours a day. Right. And have no, if you breathe wrong, brush your breathing heavy. <laughs> <sighs> or, or, you know, Pat will go out and smoke a cigarette and come back in. Damn it, Patrick, you smell like smoke. Um... <laughs> Yeah, come, come on, man, go for it. We would have gladly when, done the opposite. When you're around that type of energy, right? That sort of, we work 18 energy, hours. Energy, that's what you call it. Okay. Yeah. Right. When you're around that energy, right? Does it become difficult when you do leave, when you go on to do other things, when you, whether either you're working for yourself, whatever you're doing, does it become difficult to be a guy who's like, no, I work eight, nine hours a day, <laughs> and that's what I do? Because in your mind, right, you're, you're in a kid in your 20s. Your full exposure to successful working life is you dedicate your entire life to it on a, on a level that is not human. Right. So when it comes time for you to not work with Vince, do you sit there going, oh, my God, I think Vince is... Raining and thundering down on us right I now. I can hear it. I um, know they're in New York. <laughs> yeah. But but do you do you how do you transition into being a guy who just works? <laughs> you don't. And here here's this is a great story. I went to work for TNA and Dixie Carter. So when uh, I'd gone to work there, started out just freelancing, producing, and things like that. So then I eventually took over talent relations and so on and so forth and I was still living in Texas uh, still do live in Texas but I'm living in Texas their offices are in Tennessee one Friday about 3.30 in the afternoon my phone rings and it's Dixie Carter and the first thing out of her mouth was I apologize for calling you so late on a Friday and what time is it? 3.30 in the afternoon <laughs> in the afternoon Okay. So, so work hours and I'm like um, it's just 3.30. She goes, I know, but it's Friday, and you probably want to go off and be with your family and, and everything. But, you know, and I'm thinking, <laughs> it's 3.30 on a Friday afternoon. What do you think I'm doing? Um, so I got out of the pool. And <laughs> but, no, it was, she was apologetic, and I just started laughing, and I told, I told her then, I said, you know, I, I could never imagine those words coming out of Vince McMahon's Mouth calling me at two o'clock in the morning. What are you doing, pal? Yeah. All right. Anyway, it's segment four. And <laughs> it's Sunday at two a.m. <laughs> I've had you have no idea 
how many 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. phone calls I've got from the man. And the first thing out of his mouth is, what are you doing, pal? That's what I love. <laughs> Sleeping. <laughs> ah, sleep when you're dead. And But then, you know, after after the, the uh, salutations are, are done, it's he just starts up as if you were on the same wavelength as him. Mm-hmm. You would get up at say six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning and your phone would ring. We had these things we called agent reports, which were reports of the events we had the night before. Mm-hmm. So they would be faxed to us by Howard Finkel overnight or in the morning the next day. So as soon as he, we were, first thing we would do when we'd get up, go to the fax machine, pull the agent report and you know, have a cup of coffee or Diet Coke or whatever and you read the agent report. Well, Vince notoriously no matter what always got up earlier than either pat or i did so almost as a point like if you guys started waking up earlier he he would be uh, he would still be up earlier right yes right and the phone would ring and he would say damn that fourth match last night and you're like (laughs) vince i haven't even i i i i'm my eyes are still shut God damn it, what have you been doing all day? <laughs> it's 6 a.m. <laughs> and, for you know, the, the pecking order was Vince, Pat, me. Right. So Vince always got the report first. Right. This old-fashioned way, you know, you couldn't send three faxes at once. And Howard right. would have to reload the machine, send it to Pat, reload There's the machine. There's no BCC on this. No. Right. No, it was actual paper. Right. Okay, for a long time it was that long paper. It was all on one sheet. Yeah, did like yeah, the, the things off with yeah. the holes in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, that's how your day would start. <laughs> It's like you're barely out of bed. The phone is ringing, and you're hearing the fax machine in the other room go off, and you walk in there, and he's like, yeah, match four. What the hell was going on? Who told him to do this? I don't know, <laughs> What have you been doing all day? Yeah. <laughs> so, so see you in an hour, boss. Uh, <laughs> so when you look at that, right? Cause and, that's... Okay, and that was the other thing. We were going to see him in, <laughs> in like an hour and a half. Could have just waited. Yes. But he was There's nothing, absolutely nothing that could be accomplished between the time that he's bitching about it at 6 a.m. and the time I'm going to see him at 8.30. There's nothing that can be done. No, but I get it. It's in his head right now. He's a solutions guy. So he doesn't want to sit there with it. He wants the solution. And it's in his head now. So before he moves on to the next thing that's going to be in his head, he needs the solution. He called me one night, 2.45 a.m. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, it was on a Friday. No, it was not. It was on a Sunday night. So into Monday, Monday, Monday morning, two forty-five a.m. And on Madison Square Garden Network, we used to run a show. It was our. We had Superstars Wrestling, Wrestling Challenge, and then there was a third syndicated show, which is if somebody had everything else and they wanted still, still more, we sent them Spotlight, which was a gotcha. compilation show mm-hmm. of of everything that we did. Nobody watched Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Especially nobody watched Spotlight. It aired from 2 to 3 in the morning mm-hmm. on early Monday morning, late Sunday night on Madison Square Garden Network. Mm-hmm. 2.45 in the morning, phone rings. What are you doing, pal? And by the way, it's a house phone. It's not a cell phone. Yeah. This is my back house in the phone, day. Right next to my bed. Right. And I said, well, um, nothing. What the hell was that promo? <laughs> 
Need a little more than that, Vince. He, what promo? Because he thinks you're up watching Spotlight. Obviously. Because he is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no one else is, no, but, but he is. So why wouldn't you be watching it if he's watching exactly. it? Right. That's a what promo? This bullshit with Okerlund and the demolition. Damn it, Bruce. What the hell? How did that get on air? Um, Still going to need a little bit more than that. <laughs> A spotlight. I'm watching it right now. It's on MSG. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, spotlight's on MSG at <laughs> 2 o'clock in the morning? Um, so like It's Sunday night. What else would you be watching? And you're yeah. like, I'm asleep. I'm sorry. I've, I've got to be at the office at 8 in the morning. So I, silly me. Vince, right. I was going to get an hour or so of sleep. So Vince, I, I don't know. I'll find out in the morning. I'll, I'll let you know. So we didn't have DVRs and any of that kind of stuff back then. I get to the office the next day, 8 o'clock in the morning. My, the people that did the event centers, is what they were called then, were not in. They didn't come in until 10. Oh, boy. But I call them. Okay. And I said, hey, get in. I need you to pull this tape for me, and I need to find out what's, what's going on. And everybody there in all departments kind of gets that we live in a world where you could call like they get it when you're like I need you to come in this seems mundane right I need you to come in and give me this tape they get well this is where we work this is yes where, yeah but at the same time sometimes they don't hence this day <laughs> so I finally get uh, one of the tape ops to bring me up the tape mm -hmm. and I'm looking at it and it's bad it, it was not it was not good it was it was the guys were goofing off but my my issue was that the person that produced it never should have let that go in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like it never should have made it to the edit suite to be edited into a generic show. Right. Okay. Okay. And it was a generic show, which means that the chances of it ever making air on any television market that mattered were slim to none, less than 5% chance. Mm -hmm. But However, it made it to the MSG network. It at 2.45 in the morning on a Sunday. Yeah. Instead of putting a promo on the MSG network talking about the upcoming event at MSG, right. they got a generic show. That Perfect. was another matter. So Vince calls me, 8 o'clock. What happened? So Vince, they're not in yet. Um, as soon as they get here, I promise you I'll call you and I'll let you know. I, I'm getting to the bottom of it. I just watched it. What'd you think? So I thought it was horrible. I said, but here's my issue. Whoever produced it. Um, who produced it? I told him who produced it. And he says, I'll take care of that. <laughs> oh, no. So now I know that next call is, is to that person. So my guys don't come in until like 1030. And Vince is literally calling me every 30 minutes. And by the time they get there, and the first thing out of the guy's mouth, he goes, who the hell watches Spotlight at 2 o'clock on MSG? I said, Vince. <laughs> Oh, so it may it, it created an entirely new process as far as editing what you send out on a generic show, especially to Madison Square Garden Network. Right, that's amazing. He lives in the market now. Now, is there in your mind? Do you ever stop to think? Okay, did he go to sleep between the hours of two forty-five and eight a.m.? I heard from him at two forty-five, and then I heard again at eight. Was he sleeping in that time? He probably got a couple hours of sleep before he got up and did cardio. But that's all. I think, that's all it is. Yeah. 
Does he? Do you think he naps throughout the day? Like take an hour there, take an hour there. He and takes just... like he takes like thirty minute power naps every once in a while. Yeah, and that's just how he keeps. Yeah, charging, charging, charging. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, the the, the funny thing is, we the, I've gotten alcohol poisoning two times in my life, mm-hmm. both times with Vince McMahon. First time drinking moonshine, and the second time was just a crazy night. Mm-hmm. And I remember Vince uh, coming to me and going, Brucey. What are those buses like? This is the early days of the rock and roll buses that we okay. had for the, the cameramen and the, the ring crew guys. Okay. I said, actually, they're pretty nice. Get everybody off. We'll take a nap in there. <laughs> and so, like, we would go in just 30 minutes, and he would go nap. And, and I, I mean, because that's what's fascinating to me. It's like with all this. So everybody lives this existence where they're very, very stressed, right? Because, you know, there's right. just stuff happening. But the guy who's setting the pace, he's able to just go to sleep for 30 minutes and wake up. Like, he's not sitting there tossing and turning, going like, oh, uh. he's just like, okay, time to nap. Goes out. Time and, to wake up. And when he wakes up, he's like, ah, hot down, let's go. There you <laughs> go. Holy cow, that was good. Oh, we should all good be. Good times, ah. <laughs> we should all be so lucky. Huh. You know what, I... I think I got an extra minute there. I think I made the difference. Ah, <laughs> now yeah. let's go back onto the sixth match. When you when you talk about this, right? Because the the scenario that you just told me, around what year are we talking? Demolition ninety. Uh, okay, Dem- the the demolition one was in nineteen ninety. Okay. okay, all right, all right. Um, then the the stuff with the agent reports that was from nineteen ninety two until roughly two thousand and one. Be brutal. When you go, okay, this is the process, and you saw a little bit of this because, you know, in your time there, the programming certainly expanded, right? You were there Mm -hmm. for Raw, and then you were there for SmackDown, and Raw going two hours, and blah, blah, blah. But if you're sitting there, and it is a 24-7 job to do WWE in the era of four pay-per-views, Wrestling Superstars, Wrestling Challenge, you know, primetime in Mania, or whatever, primetime. And that's a 24-7 job, and you look at it now, and you're doing three-hour Raw, mm-hmm. two-hour SmackDown, four-hour pay-per-views every month, pre-show, post-show, international shows, original content for the network. How on earth, if that much detail is being put into such a smaller amount of content, can you even fathom how the amount of content that they're producing today is getting produced? Um. Us old-timers, we always have a unique way of looking at things that it was always more difficult back in our day, no matter what era you come from. Mm-hmm. Now, back in my day, we did this. What we did, and we would produce roughly eight hours of original programming every single week. That was back in the day. I'm going late, late wow. 80s, all right? between Eight Senate, hours a week. Okay, you would have... Uh, superstars, right? Hour challenge, right? Spotlight, right? Two hours for prime of time. prime time, prime time, all American, right? Okay. Then you had your international, whether it was international challenge, and we did like an international, um, another hodgepodge, kind of like another spotlight. Mm-hmm. So it was eight hours, okay, every single week that I had to oversee and had to look at and had to you know make sure that it got out properly. So. It was different. It, it wasn't the same kind of uh, the same kind of creativity, the same kind of micromanagement that, that goes on right now. 
So to to that extreme, it's just it's different. But at the same time, like a lot of that was just two or three of us doing it. Now they've got right. 24 people. Right. They've got a home team. They've got an away team. They've got a team to wash their nuts. They've got a team. <laughs> that, I mean, it's 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 Do you think so the, broken the, up. The team that washes the nuts still have to be at 3 a.m. If, if I see, need... I don't think so anymore. I think that they get to take off. Really? Yeah. Even the nut washers. Even the nut washers, wow. I think, get to take time off now. You know, this was the craziest thing. I was in Houston and. Um, one of the, the writers was a friend of mine. I The last match was in the ring. I said, hey, where are you? I want to make sure that I say goodbye before I get out of here. And he says, man, I'm already at the hotel. Mama. <laughs> hey, we have someone who needs to come and take a reading down Well, have them come Oh, okay. Down. They had another accident. Yeah, they can come down. Thank you for getting my attention, little guy. <laughs> well, that's what he does. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so what you're saying is I think that people didn't realize how much content was being produced back then. They didn't. And that it was just three of you guys doing it. Yeah. Or, and, and you know, however from, many. From a television production standpoint, overseeing it was just me. Right. And that all came back that all came back to me and that all fell on my head. That was all my responsibility. Then later years, you know, Pat and I would work with Vince mm-hmm. and we had to write everything. And we had to book every single house show. So every single house show that was out there, we had to book and and put every single match in. Mm -hmm. Plus, we did all of the television, made sure everything followed everything else. Right. Now, you know, I don't know how many people they have doing the house shows. I don't know how many people they have doing Raw. Then how many people they have doing SmackDown. Right. How many people they have doing NXT. How many people... And all of these other things. And then you take the network. And then look at all of the stuff with the network. Mm-hmm. It's insane. I don't know what if the question is what's your relationship like with Triple H. Now, I, more the real question that I want to know is: Have you thought about? Has there been any question of? Is it a possibility that you would take your skills of doing promos like you did back in the day of producing shows and go down to the performance center and teach the kids that are there? working on television because it seems like that's your specialty right is is explaining how to do what wrestlers do but for wwe television and it seems like you got a wealth of experience that you could share with people at the performance center yeah i'd love to and and i i do that i try to do that with with kids with mlw and work with them and, and try to teach them some of that stuff and just a lot of it is nuance and common sense. Mm-hmm. If the opportunity arose, I would love to. I, I, I love working with young talent that hasn't been jaded yet. Yeah. And that wants to learn. Yeah. And actually cares about what you have to say. <laughs> you know, somewhat. But um, And they probably care more now because they all listen to your podcast. Well, there you go. That right. Wor- that works, too. Yeah, so, that, man. I, that part of it, yeah, I love. And I think that that's something that... That I I know I would enjoy doing it, but that's you know that's up to them if they would ever want to do something like that. So you're not the type that would throw that pitch out there. It would just be like, you guys know what I do. Let me know if that's something you want to do. Right now, I'm so busy doing a, a gazillion other things. Right. That you know I I am not pitching that. Mm-hmm. So, it, but if they came to me, I'm look. I'm definitely going to listen. I would I'd be crazy not to mm-hmm. because it's in my wheelhouse. It's something I love to do. I'm going to listen to every every single offer and every opportunity that lays itself on the table. So uh, I'm going to look at it because you just never know. Right. And I, 
you know, I never thought that the opportunities that, that have presented themselves recently would ever be there. So the fact that they are, I want to capitalize on as many as I possibly can that work for me. With that, I feel like as much as like the lesson of that uh, leaving in, in, in 91, coming back in 92, and that period of time when you were isolated from the rest of the company, like we know what the lesson was there right. and how to come from that. And I feel like the lesson of the success that you're having right now is don't try to plan everything. Just like, you know, if somebody says something and it sounds like, yeah, I, that could be fun. I could do that. Just see, we'll see where it goes. Right? That's probably the most important lesson I've learned in the last probably two, two years of my life. That's got to be so fun for you to still be not only doing new stuff, but like learning new stuff. Yes. You know what I mean? That there's this new chapter of your life at this point in your life where it's like, no, I am old. No, 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 no. I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, at, but, the, at the beginning of this, you said that you were okay with how much information you were putting out there because hopefully by the time people get mad at it, you'll be dead anyway. There you go. Right. And, and, and so much of it, too, is, is Conrad Thompson. Yeah. Uh, is, has been so helpful and so great in, in being able to open my eyes and say, why not try something new? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what if you did this and, and, and try this? And, and, I, and I did. And mm-hmm. I tried stuff on that I never in a million years would have ever done before, left to my own devices. Right. And now, left to my own devices, unfortunately, I'm, or fortunately, I guess, I'm at the point where it's like, yeah, sure, man, let's try it. What you got? Right. I'll listen. Right. And that's led us to what you're doing uh, over Labor Day weekend. You guys, you and Conrad are huge parts, especially Conrad, of uh, StarCast. Right. Which is going to be available on, on Fight.TV, is that right? Exactly. And, and it's going to be, you know, it, it's it's an incredible event. And while we piggyback on WWE big events, we're piggybacking on, you know, the all-in event that's mm-hmm. going to be held in the Chicago area as well. So the, the StarCast event is, we started out as a podcast convention, you know, wrestling podcast convention. And it's grown and it's... Uh, truly just an all-inclusive experience and, and unique opportunities for the fans to interact with people in ways you never thought would be available. They're going to roast me. Good God. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like we have eat instead of meet and greets, we have eat and greets. Right. You get to go have lunch with with someone, ask them anything you want to, and, and spend an hour with your favorite star and over dinner or lunch, right? Breakfast, so it's whatever. So it's not just a hey, pop in, sign my photo, meet, right. greet, you're out of here. It's yeah. no, we're gonna sit down and have have breakfast. It's interactive, and you get to ask questions and be a part of it. And there's just gonna be a lot of unique experience, which is gonna be really cool. So. And and you're for the first time that you guys are doing it. These shows are gonna be broadcast on Fight TV. Like yeah. the people not going to Chicago are gonna be able to see. Yep. A lot of the live shows that you're doing. Speaking of live shows, we're doing uh, at Caroline's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast 200th show. Wow. That's on, that's right. That's on uh, August 16th. You've done 200 of these things. Just about. Not quite. Well, soon. We August, will, August 16th yeah. is when we'll do it at Caroline's. Right. Are you in, Bruce Pritchard? I'd like you to be there. I didn't know I was invited. That's what this is. Oh, this is the invitation. This is me invite Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. If anybody's going to invite you, might as well be Sam Roberts. Who's that? Last professional broadcaster. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I'll check my calendar. <laughs> oh, thanks. I appreciate that. 
<laughs> of course. Yeah. No, I will. I, I'm going to be in New York. I'll be in New York that whole time. I'm doing a show on the 18th. So uh, Gramercy, BruceFritcher.com for tickets. Perfect. But yes, I will be at Caroline's, and, and I'll, I will be there. That's Thursday. That's Thursday, August 16th at 9.30 p.m. Can I bring my uh, wife and daughter? You can bring everyone. Uh, just you hear that, your folks? Wife. Y'all come with me. You're in. <laughs> Bruce doesn't. Unfortunately, Bruce ran out of comps just now with his wife and daughter. But you said bring them all. Oh, you can bring them all. What about my son? He can't come. He, if he has a ticket, he can come. That's just wrong. <laughs> no, I'll definitely, I definitely will be there, man. I'll be in New York that uh, starting on that Wednesday, so I will be at Caroline's on Thursday, August sixteenth at nine thirty p.m. I'll be there at nine thirty p.m. Excellent. That's your 200th show. That's the 200th show. How else would you want to celebrate other than with me? No other guests at all. None. Right? I'm it? No, I'm... Well, I mean... I'm it. I don't... I mean, you want to draw, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know that... <laughs> you were invited. I didn't say exclusively. But... Uh, I have to share? Well, you but you know, you, you'll have your time. Okay, so I get the first three hours? First, yeah. Look, this ain't something to wrestle with. We don't go marathon shows. Well, that's just a normal show for us. That's not even a marathon. I see them on iTunes when I'm like three hours. I'm like, what, they phone this one in? Yeah, exactly. This is an easy day at the office. We got to do the short ones, too. It's like, you know, anybody can do the pretty ones. Sometimes, you know, it takes a real man to do the short ones. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what the hell that came from. No, I get it. I get it. Bruce, I will see you... uh, on August 16th at Caroline's. I appreciate you being down here. Are we, are we going to be back up here? In the no, not, We're not down here. We're not down I mean, anywhere. We're on top yeah. of the uh, 75th floor. That's right. We're 75 um, stories high. Yes. In the Not Sam studio. Right. Appreciate you making the trip up here. You are more than welcome. I, uh, I hope the elevators are still working and they got that gas leak under control. I do, too. I'm going to check the meters. All right. I, I think he already did. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't trust him. All right. Thanks, well, man. Thank you. Here is Sam Roberts. Mega thanks to Bruce Pritchard for not only doing the podcast here from the Not Sam studio, but for confirming himself as being a part of the 200th episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. You heard him. Bruce Pritchard is going to be in the house at Caroline's on Broadway Thursday, August 16th, the Thursday before SummerSlam. You can be too, 9.30 p.m. Yours truly, Bruce Pritchard, a ton of other people. I'll continue to announce them as we go. Get your tickets now. You'll be glad that you did. Trust me when I tell you. Now, uh, a lot to talk about in the state of wrestling this week, of course. I want to take a moment to thank all the people that reached out on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, reminded me that Jinder Mahal cut a promo on the Raw after Money in the Bank when he lost to Roman Reigns that explained the current character that he's in. I did. I guess I I either forgot that or I missed that. Still, I think that the character needs to be flushed out a little bit. You know, I, I still think that the character needs some more attention because it is such a departure from where he was before. Um... You know, it kind of, if you go back and watch that first instance of it, it was almost like he was doing a yoga version of like Waylon Mercy, where he would come in all peaceful, and then as soon as the bell rang, he would be vicious and and, and want to hurt people and, and all this, which I think is a decent character. You know, I always liked the Waylon Mercy character. Maybe that's because I'm a big Cape Fear fan. But uh, I, I think that it that's a character that needs to be explored, remind people of it maybe try to get to the bottom of why this is happening. It's still, you know, it's almost like you just put this premise in motion and now you're just letting it go and and 
there's no specific direction of where Jinder Mahal goes. Uh, you know, like, for instance, he wasn't in that double, triple threat match on Raw this week. He wasn't among the top six big good guys and bad guys on the roster. The top six contenders, arguably, for that uh, Universal Championship. Jinder Mahal was nowhere to be found. And I guess, you know, he lost to Roman Reigns. You could, I don't think you could argue, but the idea that he came from SmackDown, where he had a long run as WWE Champion, and is now on Raw, where he's not even in the top six, at the same time when, even though the Universal Championship is not on television, the WWE Championship has not been defended in the main event of a pay-per-view since the Universal Championship disappeared. I mean, I don't remember the last time. I guess the last time the WWE Championship was defended in a pay-per-view was the last time the brands were separated. Because, you know, it wasn't at WrestleMania, the main event, which, you know, that I, I wouldn't argue that, but it just stating facts. It wasn't the main event of WrestleMania. It wasn't the main event of Greatest Royal Rumble. It wasn't the main event of Backlash. It wasn't the main event of Money in the Bank. It wasn't the main event of Extreme Rules. I mean, we're going on a long run of not main events. And you could say, sure, that the Rusev-AJ style story was not exactly a main event story. However, number one, you could have made it a main event story. And number two, you could have made Nakamura and AJ Styles the main event of at least one of those shows, I think. It's also like you watch SmackDown and the WWE Championship in this moment is not the centerpiece of that show. It wasn't even the centerpiece of the show this week. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And maybe maybe with the announcement of the SummerSlam opponent coming next week, we'll start to really kind of build to something. But I don't know. We'll talk about SummerSlam and the Bills to SummerSlam on the separate shows in the State of Wrestling segment. Uh, we'll also talk about my time in Extreme Rules in Pittsburgh. You know, I'm going to talk about Extreme Rules, but I, I think that my perception of the show will probably be biased just because I was there. But I guess... I guess we should save that for the state of wrestling, shouldn't we? Um, as a matter of fact, why don't we get right into it, huh? Who are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Let's do it. State of wrestling time. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Let's get into it. State of wrestling time here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And to those of you wondering what happened to the live element on Facebook video, we are figuring out a new home for the video portion of the State of Wrestling. Of course, we record it every single week here in the Not Sam studio. It's a full audio video studio, so there is video of all this. So if it's something that you're interested in, stay tuned. We're going to start, of course, top five stories is what we do here on the State of Wrestling. I get to pick the top five stories because it's my podcast. Uh, my number five story this week is Extreme Rules and the feedback off of Extreme Rules. Now, it's very, very interesting. You know, I try to get a pulse on what the feedback to an event is for basically every event. I mean, I get interested after a Raw and SmackDown on what the pulse is. A lot of times I think that my initial response to a show is not dissimilar from others. If, if generally people don't like something, I end up not liking it. Sometimes I disagree, of course, as is human nature. But most of the time, if something is not good, something is not good. Now, what we do here on the podcast is we try to explain why it's not good and maybe look at the positive or at least focus on the more positive aspects of the show because if I focused on the negative aspects of the show, there's enough negative in my life. I, I, I wouldn't watch anymore. I, I've got enough to complain about in life that I don't need to complain about my entertainment, if that makes sense. 
Uh, but Extreme Rules is an interesting case because as I watched it, and, and keep in mind, I am as biased as anybody could be in the position that I am. I have been a WWE fan, a wrestling fan, but first and foremost, a WWE, WWF fan, as long as I can remember. I've loved WWE and their product as long as I can remember loving anything. It was my family and then WWE, and that's what I've grown up uh, feeling a kinship with. That's just, it's in my DNA. So the idea that I now get to go to these pay-per-views, and not only do I get to if I want to, if I want to, it's my choice, sit in the arena and watch the show, parts of the show, whatever I want, I'm hosting the pre-show, and in the case of Extreme Rules, it's even more exciting. I'm hosting the pre-show and the post-show with Renee Young, both shows, Booker T and David Otunga, the pre-show, um, getting to break it down and give my real opinions, interview the superstars, not just on my podcast or my YouTube channel, but on the WWE Network, on the WWE social media platforms. Clips of what I did can end up on Monday Night Raw, as was this week. You know, and then in the meantime... I'm hanging out all day backstage with the WWE superstars, with the people who put the WWE together, the backstage crew, with the writers, with the producers. I'm working directly with writers and producers, which to me is a major thrill, working with writers and producers that put together WWE TV every week to come up with some of the stuff that we do. It's an amazing thing. And just to sit there and be a part of it is an unbelievable thing, okay? And so for me, a lot of times... I have a positive spin on these shows, and that's that's to be expected, I think. Um, but I found Extreme Rules, and maybe this is because I was comparing it with, like, Backlash. I think the Backlash did not have a ton of endearing qualities to it. But as I looked at Extreme Rules, I said, okay, we got a couple title switches. We had stuff happen. You know, things happened, right? Bobby Lashley gets a clean victory over Roman Reigns. Kevin Owens gets thrown off of the roof of a cage. The Bobby Lashley-Roman Reigns match, to me, ended up being quite good. The AJ Styles-Rusev match, I, I was sitting out in the audience for that one. I thought it was quite good. The B team wins the tag team championship and actually gets th to be used thematically through the show into the post-show and, and gets to shine like those two gentlemen have never gotten a chance to shine before. Nakamura wins the U.S. title in a way that is best for bad guy Nakamura. I think some people left with a weird feeling because it was not exactly traditional as far as pay-per-views go for WWE in the sense that a ton of bad guys won. Heels won a lot of matches, including the last match on the show. I think nobody expected the Iron Man match to be the last match on the show. Um, so it was, it was unexpected, but I didn't think it was a bad show. You know, it wasn't... I don't think it'll be in contendership for the best pay-per-view of the year. Money in the Bank was probably a better pay-per-view. But I didn't have a problem with Extreme Rules. And there was, some of the criticism was there wasn't enough Extreme stuff at Extreme Rules. Which, yeah. But I don't know why you would watch the pay-per-view and be like, hey, where's all the Extreme stuff? You could just look at the card. They announced the card well in advance. You know... If a match is an Extreme Rules match or not. You know on the kickoff show you're getting a tables match. You know the only match billed as Extreme Rules is the women's match. 
you know, you know the, the Iron Man match and the cage match are clearly being lumped into extreme rules in the sense that they're stipulation matches. But the idea that all matches are not extreme rules, that's not something that I think you can watch the pay-per-view and start complaining about because it was made abundantly clear before the show. If you watch that show thinking everything's going to be extreme rules, then you didn't watch any of the TV leading up to it and you had no idea what you were watching. You just tuned into the WWE Network based on a title of a show, right? Which is not what this was. This was advanced. At this point, Extreme Rules, I think, is more of a brand than an actual meaning. I personally think that they should not do Extreme Rules shows anymore. I think if you had called this pay-per-view the Great American Bash, it would have been much better. I think if you had called this pay-per-view, Capital Punishment would have been better. So, you know, it's a, it's a two... I don't think watching the pay-per-view, it's fair to sit there and say, you know what my problem with this pay-per-view is? Not enough Extreme Rules, because we knew how much Extreme Rules we were getting. We could complain before the show started that I don't know why they're calling this Extreme Rules. That's fair. Personally, I think if they're not going to do Extreme Rules matches, if they're going to create a product that's maybe not as quote-unquote extreme as it was in yesteryear then why have the pay-per-view at all? I think that they should just rename the pay-per-view, but I, I don't think that that's a, that wasn't an active criticism of mine because I knew walking in um, what it was. I think that the choice to put the Iron Man match on last, I think these are choices that you should credit the WWE for. You could talk about whether they were effective or not, but the idea that, and by the way, I read that uh, that the decision was made day of to not put Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley in the main event. That, that, that up until the day of, that was going to be the main event of the show. Completely false. I, completely false. But I, I think that it was planned in... Yes, it's, that's, that's a false statement. But the idea that the WWE put on the Iron Man match last and the idea that Bobby Lashley gained a clean victory over Roman Reigns regardless of what happens next, right? Because we'll talk about Raw and how maybe that that moment is not the big deal that we thought it was. We'll talk about that. But we'll just talk about Extreme Rules right now. You went, whoa, did Bobby Lashley just pin Roman Reigns? He got a clean victory? That's a big deal. Whoa, is the Iron Man match going on last? That's a big deal. Now, you know, I, I the Pittsburgh crowd was weird, man. And it, to me... And it has nothing to do with Pittsburgh. It has to do with that crowd. But that crowd, it, that was I was annoyed in the main event with the countdowns. I thought it was really annoying. Because even if you didn't like the match, like I don't personally like Iron Man matches that have a lot of falls in them. If we just watched Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler have a match that went 20 minutes plus and nobody could get a fall, right? How could Dolph Ziggler or Seth Rollins get five falls in 30 minutes? How could Seth Rollins get the per first pinfall in five minutes? To me, when you have Iron Man matches where the pinfalls are fast and furious, it makes me as a fan go, well, then doesn't that mean that Seth Rollins could have just beat Dolph Ziggler in five minutes? You know, it almost takes me out of it because I go, I don't know why I'm like, I don't think it's fair that Dolph Ziggler should get to continue. If Seth Rollins can beat him in five minutes... 
He should be the Intercontinental Champion. And I guess the logic would be, well, maybe, you know, he's not fighting as hard to kick out because he's conserving his energy because he can make up the points later. And I get, I like when they do things like have Drew McIntyre interfere, sacrifice a point so that Rollins can be worn down. Like, what I would have done is end the match at 2-1 to one in favor of one or the other. And what I would do is still do the McIntyre thing, have Drew McIntyre interfere so that Seth Rollins gets a DQ victory, but then have Dolph Ziggler pin him right after that and then attempt to pin him again and not get the second point. So halfway through the match, we're at one-to-one, and then we don't get that second fall until the very end. That's why I like the Bret Hart-Shaw Michaels match. I don't think Iron Man matches should have a lot of pinfalls in them because in, in real life... In a, in, a, in a stand, not in real life, but in a standard match, you wouldn't have guys that were able to beat each other within five minutes. Those guys, anyway. Otherwise, why would you put them in an Iron Man match? So that was the criticism of that. And look, I think that it's, I, I can't fully blame the Pittsburgh crowd because this kind of is a casualty of having doors open at 5 p.m. and having the show end at 11 p.m. You know, if you've got, people that have been sitting there for six hours then they're gonna get punchy at the end of the show you know if you're gonna end the show and and if anyone could end the show it's Ziggler and Rollins for sure but if you're gonna end the show with those two you've got to realize especially since it's a 30 minute match you got to realize even guys that even people I should say that just showed up to watch the main card have still this is we're now you know three and a half hours in but the doors opened at 5. The pre-show started at 6, and the pre-show had two matches on it. So it was a legitimate 4-hour and 40-minute. The, 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 the post-show started at 10.40 and went until 11. So the show-show started at 7 and went until 10.40. That's 3 hours, 40 minutes, just bare bones. You add in the two matches on the kickoff show, you're now looking at 4 hours. And 40 minutes. And the doors had opened an hour before that. So, you know, I, I don't sit there and wonder why the crowd is punchy. Or why the crowd is, like, why is the crowd so distracted? It's because they're delirious. They've been there for a long time. And I think that that's something that's going to be a growing pain of the WWE. I think eventually they'll get past it. They'll figure out how to, they'll, they'll strategize a way around it. But... Until that happens, I mean, you're going to have to put on main events that people are so hungry to see that there's, they're not going to get distracted by their tiredness. Otherwise, you'll have stuff like we saw uh, at the show where they're, you know, doing countdowns for the entire Iron Man match. Um, you know, other than that, you know, I, I, I think that any pay-per-view that has that Kevin Owens spot where he was flung off the cage. And I don't know if it's maybe because so many of us that are at least my age grew up in the Attitude Era where we've seen a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, I, I, I don't think that you can uh, overstate how high up Kevin Owens was and how ridiculous that fall was that he threw him off the top top of that steel cage. Not the almost top. They didn't go down a few rungs and then kind of whip him off. I mean, he took a full bump off the top of the cage, down onto the table. It's, a, it's an unbelievable thing to do. Um, 
You know, I thought the I thought the Carmella Oscar finish was very creative. I thought Carmella's comments on the post show about a certain last professional broadcaster being troll like in appearance were wholly unnecessary and quite frankly inaccurate. But that has nothing to do with the pay-per-view. That's just a personal observation of mine. I do think it was very creative to use the shark cage in that way. In the sense that, that because I was like, okay, we saw Enzo, when it was Big Cast versus Big Show, we saw Enzo slip out of the cage. But the idea that Ellsworth was hanging there, Asuka's beating him up, that's fun to watch. And then Carmella has the presence of mind to use that cage that's now been lowered to save Ellsworth as a weapon... And it's not even like she's introduced it into the match, so it wouldn't be a disqualification. I thought that that was genius, um, you know. And I thought, and I know some people are are do not like Asuka being used in the way that she's used. I don't even think we saw her on SmackDown, so I don't exactly know what's next for Asuka. Um, I don't think that these losses to Carmella hurt Asuka's character because I don't think anybody takes the losses seriously. Like I don't think that anybody's sitting there. And if you're talking about, you know, the, the skill of this character, the idea that this character doesn't really lose matches, I don't think we're now saying like, oh, now all of a sudden she, you know, is, is Carmella's better than her. I think the whole point of this series of matches has been proving that she's been better than Carmella every time. It's, I mean, it's kind of similar to what was going on with Jinder Mahal and like Randy Orton, for example. And that became, that did get frustrating. Um, Carmella's burning through opponents a little bit quicker, which I think is necessary if you're going to do stuff like what she's been doing. I do think that you've got to introduce some opponents that Carmella can legitimately beat, right? I don't think she can sneak past all these people. And maybe Becky Lynch is that person. You know, Becky Lynch started the conversation on SmackDown about getting the SummerSlam Women's Championship match. I think it feels like when you watch the show that there is a large degree of faith in Becky Lynch. I think that the amount that she's improved since she's been on NXT has been astronomical. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that Becky Lynch versus Carmella is a fresh match to put on SummerSlam. I'm not against it. It wasn't the first match that popped into my head, but I'm certainly not against it. Especially if on the other side of things, you're talking about Ronda Rousey versus Alexa Bliss. Like, that's a big star match. I don't I don't know. You know, you've already run your court. You know, Asuka will, I think, at one point be the women's champion. But clearly, you have to get the title off Carmella some way. Do I think Becky Lynch is going to beat Carmella for the title? Probably not. I think it would be a weird choice to have Charlotte and Asuka go down to Carmella only to have Becky Lynch win. But we've got four weeks of storytelling to do. So they could set it up. Look, the thing is... Uh, there is this idea that Carmel, I'm, I'm sorry, Charlotte and Asuka are so good that they shouldn't be champion because if they are champion, there's nobody to beat them. Nobody else will be. So I think if they want to have people like Carmella, if they want to have people like Becky Lynch and those people as champion, you have to give the audience a credible reason why Asuka or Charlotte aren't because Asuka and Charlotte are head and shoulders the top of the division. Um, and so I, I, I think that's part of what's going on, but that was what I thought. I, I, unless I'm missing anything, um, you know, the Bludgeon Brothers team, hell no thing. I didn't really have any problem with, you know, that, that, that was kind of my take, uh, on extreme rules over the weekend. But again, it was 
awesome to be there. You know what was awesome? And this brings me to story number four. And that is the story of Bobby Lashley. Now, I thought the performance that he gave against Roman Reigns started to lend towards the credibility of actually doing a Bobby Lashley-Brock Lesnar match. There was something about watching that match with Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley's performance that made me go, okay, I'm at least interested in watching Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar. I'm not sold on the idea that Bobby Lashley is the guy to beat Brock Lesnar. In my opinion, Seth Rollins is 100% the guy to beat Brock Lesnar. But... Um, I'm interested in a Bobby Lashley-Brock Lesnar match. And I think it's really cool because I brought it up on both the, I brought it up on the pre-show briefly, but I got to bring it up on the post-show when I interviewed Bobby Lashley. And the clip is actually available on WWE's YouTube channel. I brought up the interview that Bobby Lashley did on this podcast. We did it live at one of the podcast conventions months and months before he returned to WWE. And we talked about his full WWE run. That's really what the what the crux of the interview was. It was that first run that he had in WWE. And we talked about him returning and what he wanted to do. And one of the things that he said, and this was not in character, this was not trying to pitch anything, this was Bobby Lashley, the guy, just talking. And and I think if you listen, and I would I would encourage you guys. You know, all the podcasts are made available. You know, they're all for free. So I would encourage you guys to go ahead and listen to those old podcasts, especially the one with Bobby Lashley. If you just want to watch the interview, I believe the interview is available at youtube.com slash notsam. But the podcast, you can scroll through week by week by week by week, and you can find that Bobby Lashley interview. It's up on notsam.com. Um, but Bobby Lashley won me and a lot of you guys over in that interview. I think Bobby Lashley, if you listen to that interview, the feedback that I got from people was that they were excited at the idea of him returning to WWE because of of how he presented himself and what he was saying. He talked about one of the real reasons he wanted to return to WWE is this Bobby Lashley-Brock Lesnar match that's never happened that he thinks needs to happen. He said, that's a match that has to happen. And I was like, okay, what else do you want to do? And the other thing that he really wanted to do was have a match with Roman Reigns. Now, I believe in the interview, he said that he thought that he could get fans to cheer Roman Reigns. Obviously, Bobby Lashley is not in full control of his of, of the storytelling that he's doing, but you know, if you watched Extreme Rules, he was not successful in getting the fans to cheer for Roman Reigns. But I just love the idea that not only is he, is he doing this, not only is he following what is a true story, and you heard it on this podcast, but... After it was on this podcast, and after I brought it up of my own volition, nobody told me to bring this up. I brought up on the pre-show and the post-show that Bobby Lashley had two goals when he came to WWE, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. And those came from my podcast, and I cited my podcast on both shows. But nobody told me to say that. I was smiling from ear to ear when Bobby Lashley came out on Raw, and he said, I came back here with two goals. One was to beat you and one was to beat Brock Lesnar. And I said, oh my God, these storylines are from my podcast. These storylines are from this show. Undeniably, go back and listen to the Bobby Lashley interview. That's what he's referring to when he comes out on Raw and says this stuff. Now, I don't know if this was more based on the interview that we had on the post show for Extreme Rules, but hell, we did it, guys. Pat ourselves on the back. Uh, 
Amazing. Um, I worry, though. So as I watch Raw, I sit there and I go, okay, we're now in a position where it's going to be... And this actually... This moves us to story number three. Story number four was Bobby Lashley coming out and saying what he said on Raw this week. Story number three is the fact that it's pretty much confirmed that Brock Lesnar is defending the Universal Championship at SummerSlam. That was not confirmed, and there were a lot of specul there was a lot of speculation about what was going to go down with that. So it's pretty much confirmed Brock Lesnar is defending the title at SummerSlam. We are going to see Brock Lesnar again at SummerSlam. And I live in New York. I watch the commercials. He is being advertised for the Raw after SummerSlam. So, for the first time since the Greatest Royal Rumble, we are looking at getting two Brock Lesnar appearances here in August. Um, so, you know, when they come out on Raw and they announce that this is all going down, uh, I go, okay, this is, could be interesting. I never enjoyed the idea of, okay, six guys are just going to come out and Kurt Angle is now going to give them all opportunities. Because why? Because they came out? Like, I tweeted, hey, Kurt Hawkins, get out there. You know, they're just giving opportunities out there for title matches. Because if I, I mean, if we're going storyline-wise, if I'm No Way Jose, and I hear, oh, they're playing music, and people get to come out, and Kurt Angle's going to put them in matches to maybe get a shot at SummerSlam? Okay. All right. I'll do that. I want to get, I want to fight Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Sure. Hey, how about we make one of these matches a fatal four-way? Put Jose in there. If you're just giving out the matches to whoever comes out. Um, but I did think that the six guys chosen were good six guys. It was, uh, if I remember correctly, Seth Rollins, Elias, Drew McIntyre, Roman Reigns, Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins, and Finn Balor. So those are the six that come out. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's. I, I was happy that Finn Balor was in the mix of those six guys that are the top guys. Um, and it's interesting that Drew McIntyre came out because on one end you go, well, Dolph Ziggler just beat Seth Rollins, but he's the Intercontinental Champion. So Dolph Ziggler's representative, who also beat Seth Rollins, comes out. And that way you're not asking the question, well, what about the guy that beat Seth? If Seth's out here, well, the guy that beat Seth is out here. He's Drew McIntyre. So when the two triple threats are made, I'm like, okay, that's interesting because it was kind of... It felt like coming off of Extreme Rules that Bobby Lashley had a pretty solid argument for that championship match. You know, it's also very, very, very conspicuous that Braun Strowman is not in those six. I think it makes everybody believe that Braun Strowman's briefcase, the Monster in the Bank briefcase, as it's called now, is going to play a part in whatever happens with this championship. Only because... Why wouldn't he be in that conversation? Why wouldn't he be part of the conversation about who is going to be the next contender for Brock Lesnar? You know, if Braun just, well, I guess technically he lost to Kevin Owens and Kevin Owens couldn't come out, but clearly Braun Strowman is in that conversation. So it made you think, and it's not like just because you have the Money in the Bank briefcase doesn't mean that you can't get championship matches as well as also having the briefcase. I think it'd be interesting one day if somebody had the championship and the briefcase at the same time and then like lost the championship and cashed in right away or something like that. I just think that there's room to play there. But, you know, I was real. What here's what I was really hoping for because I felt like it was a given, like the predictable thing to do would put Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley in the match next week on Raw, which is what they ended up doing. 
I think the move would have been to have Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor next week on Raw. You know, there are, you could have put any of those guys in there, really. I would say Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Roman Reigns, Bobby Lashley, and maybe Drew McIntyre are the ones, I guess that uh, poor Elias, it leaves him out. But I think Elias has room to grow. Elias has time to get there. You know, I think if Drew McIntyre were in the match, I think it's clear that Drew McIntyre will get there one day, but I, I feel like if Drew McIntyre were in the match next week on Raw, we would know. Like if it was Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre or Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre, you would know Bobby Lashley is going to beat Drew McIntyre and face Brock Lesnar. So that's why I wouldn't put Drew in there. But to me, I think, you know, and we talk about Raw ratings. We talked about Raw ratings last week. I think if you left this week and said Seth Rollins and Finn Balor are going to be competing against each other to see who gets to face Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, I mean, I think that everybody left there going like, I would love to see either of those two have that match. But I didn't think that was going to happen at SummerSlam. Now, all of a sudden, either way, the result of that match is a shocker because that's not the match you were expecting for SummerSlam. And personally, as I've said before, it's clear to me that Seth Rollins is the guy that should take the title away from Brock Lesnar. I think Braun Strowman might very quickly be becoming, quote-unquote, the guy. But to me, when you're looking long-term, Seth Rollins is the person that should be taking the briefcase—I mean, the championship from Brock Lesnar. Maybe Seth Rollins takes the championship from Brock Lesnar. Braun Strowman cashes in, beats Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins chases Braun Strowman, and you can make Seth Rollins even more. Uh, So I was disappointed when I saw Bobby Lashley and Roman Reigns because I started to feel like the point of that match might be to nullify what happened at the pay-per-view. And I think it does on two levels. I think the idea, and hopefully this will come up next week on Raw, I think the idea that Bobby Lashley has to face Roman Reigns to see who gets the shot at SummerSlam, you know, if I'm Bobby Lashley, storyline, if I'm Bobby Lashley and I've got a match with Roman Reigns on Raw this week and the winner goes to SummerSlam to face Brock Lesnar, I'm going to Kurt Angle and saying, I'm not doing this match. Like, why would I face Roman Reigns when eight days ago I beat Roman Reigns in the ring No controversy, one, two, three. Roman Reigns has gotten opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for the WWE Universal Championship. Somehow, he still thinks he's being cheated. Now, after losing eight days ago to me, he gets another match with me with the winner getting a shot at Brock Lesnar. If if, if you've got your... if, If you have decided... With your method of figuring out who deserves championship opportunities, if you've got Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley as your two top guys, one of those two gets a shot at Brock Lesnar, then based on the fact that within the month, Bobby Lashley beat Roman Reigns in a high-profile match, there is absolutely no reason to have the match again. It makes it seem like Bobby Lashley's victory is not a big deal and was a fluke and that we need to test this again. You know, if we really wanted to give Bobby Lashley a victory over Roman Reigns, we shouldn't be sitting there going, okay, but they should wrestle again just to make sure that Bobby Lashley is better than Roman Reigns. It was proven to me. Bobby Lashley got the clean victory. So why would Bobby Lashley have to fight Roman Reigns again? So 
I think one of two things is going to happen. Either Roman Reigns is going to beat Bobby Lashley on Raw, and we're going to realize that the only reason that Bobby Lashley won at that pay-per-view is so you can say that Bobby Lashley won, but in reality is his Roman Reigns show. Or something weird is going to happen, and it's going to be a double DQ count-out, no contest thing, whatever, and you're going to have a triple threat match between Bobby Lashley, Roman Reigns, and Brock Lesnar. Now, I don't know how many bad responses WWE has to get to the Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match. But clearly, I mean, just to try something new, putting Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar in the ring, I think, is a better idea. You might be worried because you're going, well, you know, Bobby Lashley is still kind of fresh. He's only been back in WWE for a couple months. A lot of the fan base wasn't watching when Bobby Lashley was here last. And let's be honest, his promo skills are better than they used to be, but still not the best in the world. Okay, to put Seth Rollins in the match and have him have a match with Finn Balor to get there. I mean, it's exciting. It's different. It's new. It's fresh. But that's not the direction they're going in. So we'll see. I mean, I like that SummerSlam is getting amped up as quickly as it is. I like that uh, that there's a lot of work being done to tell stories going into SummerSlam. I think that that's a positive thing. I like that by next week, we'll already have a pretty solid idea of... Who is wrestling for the WWE Championship? Who's wrestling for the Universal Championship? Who's wrestling for the SmackDown Women's Championship? Who's wrestling for the Raw Women's Championship? That's a pretty good place to be in, you know, whatever it is, three or four weeks out. Um, but all that said, I still feel that way about the fact that it's Bobby Lashley versus Roman Reigns next week on Raw. It makes people feel like the pay-per-view match was not a serious match. If you're if the, if the match if the match on Raw has a title shot on the line. The match on, on pay-per-view had nothing on the line. It was supposed to be for pride. It was supposed to be to find out who the big dog is. Bobby Lashley can walk around saying, now I'm the big dog. And he goes, okay, well, if you want a title shot, you're going to have to beat the guy you just beat. Why? I just beat him already. Fantastic. Hey, Kurt, good news. Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley surfaced as the top one and two people on this show. Luckily, since we just had a pay-per-view, we know which one's better. Turns out it's Bobby Lashley. Fast track to SummerSlam. That's my opinion on the matter. Um, Story number two. Big, big, big story number two this week in the state of wrestling also has to do with SummerSlam, and that is the fact that it would appear that as much as I wanted Miz and Daniel Bryan, that match to actually happen at WrestleMania and for there to be a title on the line, it's pretty obvious that... What I said I thought was probably going to happen, I think I said that last week, is really probably going to happen. It looks like SummerSlam is the day that we get Daniel Bryan versus The Miz. Now, apparently Daniel Bryan's contract is up in September. That might have something to do with it. Look, all hope is not lost with the WrestleMania thing. You could have Daniel Bryan versus The Miz at SummerSlam. If Daniel Bryan signs a new deal, you could not have that match again until WrestleMania and until there's a title on the line and the WrestleMania match would still be a big deal. But I will tell you this. In the weeks leading up to SummerSlam, I believe we're going to have some of the best storytelling in TV that we've had in a long time. I think this is definitely going to be the Miz's, I mean, uh, Daniel Bryan's best stuff since returning. And I think this is going to be the Miz's best stuff since being put back on SmackDown. 
maybe even more. You know, I, 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 I'm anxious to see. I hope that the Miz and Daniel Bryan put on a Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels level story. I think it's possible. I think there's enough backstory there. I think the Miz and Daniel Bryan are good enough to do it. We'll see if it happens. You know, I'm not saying I think that's what's going to happen. I'm saying that's what I would like to see happen. It's possible. We'll see. So while, yes, my preference would be to wait all the way to WrestleMania for it, I'm also the type that doesn't like to open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. I like to wait until Christmas because the wait is sometimes the funnest part. All that said... I'm very excited about the storytelling that's going to happen between now and SummerSlam, and I'm very excited to watch that match. That match will probably be the match that I look forward to most at SummerSlam. And I'm, I am I think Alexa Bliss versus Ronda Rousey is going to be really interesting in terms of how you tell that story in the ring. Um, I think there's a lot that could happen here. You know, who knows what's going to happen with Brock Lesnar. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with AJ, with AJ Styles. Um, you know, I can't really... Off the top of my head, as far as competitors on SmackDown, unless all of a sudden Dean Ambrose comes back, which would be amazing, especially if he comes back as a bad guy, um, you know, I don't exactly know who you put in there with AJ Styles right now, based on the stories that have been told. You know, it, it would appear that Randy Orton's back, but number one, I don't think we want to see AJ Styles versus Randy Orton, and number two, I feel like Randy Orton is shifting more towards. Nakamura, although in a complicated story, which to me is interesting. I want to see where the Randy Orton thing is going. Um, but with Nakamura as the U.S. champion, Randy Orton tied up over there. Clearly Jeff Hardy's being taken off TV. Miz and Daniel Bryan tied up together. You know, I don't, I don't exactly know who's left for AJ Styles. I'm kind of trying to look at my action figure shelf to tell you the truth. I don't know. I guess you could bring back the bar. Put Sheamus in there with him. We'll have to wait till next week, I suppose, on uh, on SmackDown. Although you guys will probably tweet me and I'm forgetting about somebody and it's super obvious or whatever. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, the number one story of the week, though, is definitely the fact that WWE brought Hulk Hogan back into the WWE Hall of Fame. Now, it made national news. It was It was mainstream news that Hulk Hogan was reinstated into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, WWE did, I, I, some people have said that WWE never really even said that he was out of the Hall of Fame. That's not true. Uh, I believe that they did. I, I, I remember them saying that he was taken off the Hall of Fame website, the whole thing. So he's back in the Hall of Fame. And this was because he was caught on tape, not only using the N-word, but using it in a really pretty disgusting way, really being derogatory about it, admitting that he was at least a little bit racist what Hulk Hogan did was pretty disgusting and dark and pretty awful. That said, Hulk Hogan, and again, this is just my opinion. I know uh, the New Day put out a statement and Titus O'Neil agreed with it that to them, Hulk Hogan is not really, the, the, they're just going to keep their distance from Hulk Hogan. That They heard what he had to say. They didn't like it, but... It has no effect on them. Hulk Hogan can go do whatever he wants, but New Day and Titus are not going to have much to do with him. And I can, res- I, I, trust me when I tell you, I can respect that opinion. But it was very interesting because I posted a photo of myself and Hulk Hogan, and I said I was happy that he was back in the Hall of Fame or something to that effect. Welcome back, whatever it was. And my personal opinion is 
I stand by that factor. I th- and and there was there was a huge war in my comment section on both sides, and some people even brought up like Chris Benoit saying, "Well, if Chris Benoit is not in the Hall of Fame, neither should Hulk Hogan." And it's like, whoa, what Hulk Hogan said was absolutely vile. But it's hard to think of a situation where anyone's words, the words that they say, just the words, because there's no action that Hulk Hogan is accused of. It's the words that he said, which is enough, but it's nowhere near the horribleness that Chris Benoit did. He's done apologies. The Boys and Girls Club put him in the Boys and Girls Club Hall of Fame. I think that did a lot in the sense that, look, this organization, the Boys and Girls Club, forgave him. It's so conditional forgiveness is real, okay? Like, I think Hulk Hogan's in a position where we are all allowed to have far less tolerance for anything coming from him than we normally would. I think that that's fair. But I also think it's fair that if it's just somebody's words, I think that people can change. I think that people's opinions and ideals and and mental places can change. And I think after three years of being blacklisted, for as much as Hulk Hogan contributed to this thing known as wrestling, we as fans, it's okay to allow him to prove that he's not that guy. And if he doesn't prove that, if he is that guy, then you know you can't forgive after that. But he's sitting there. He's saying, I'm no longer that guy. To me, I'm ready to allow him the opportunity to prove it. Thank you guys for being a part of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget... Don't forget the 200th episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast goes down at Caroline's on Broadway, August 16th, 9.30 p.m., primetime slot. You can be there at Caroline's in New York City. All you have to do is go to carolines.com, click the schedule, and go down to August 16th. You'll find Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Pick up your tickets there. Pick up your tickets now. I will tweet out all the links. I will put them on notsam.com. You'll be able to be a part of it. It'll be an amazing, amazing thing. And we'll see you next week here on The State of Wrestling. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.